Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the fourth installment in our Terminator movie review series. Today we are reviewing Terminator Salvation. This is John Connor. You are the resistance. I'm just kidding. John Connor isn't real. This is your co-host, Corbin. <laughs> and I'm Alan. <laughs> Gotta say, Christian Bale, who is John Connor in this film, yes, Nick Stahl is nowhere to be seen. He's disappeared. Maybe in, a, in an alternate timeline. We don't know. Maybe. Maybe. But I gotta say, Christian Bale does kind of use something between a normal voice and the Batman voice. Yeah, this came out in 2009, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. it would have been right off of the heels of The Dark Knight, which is at the time one of the best, not only highest grossing superhero movies of all time, but also widely considered to be one of the best superhero movies in general. So maybe he has some inspiration. Maybe. That is a good point. He was in the middle of the franchise, the Batman franchise. Christopher Nolan hadn't finished it up yet with The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, I think he was really operating with that <laughs> voice going on there. There's a lot of big names mm -hmm. this time around in this movie. Christian Bale, Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Worthington, who I think was probably not very well known, but... uh. Little uh, James Cameron project uh, came out, kind of swamped this film into into the time that land forgot. Yep. Uh, he was in that film, too, that came out this year. Um, Commons in this movie. Uh, Anton Yelchin, rest in peace. Sadly, mm -hmm. he's passed away due to a freak accident. It was very sad. Also got uh, Helena Bonham, Bonham Carter is in this movie. But not That's very right. much, which is she's a big actor, but doesn't have a very much screen time. I wish I understood why she was in this movie. I I don't know why. I mean, yeah, she really it has a very small role in this film. Who knows? Um, but I wanted to call the listeners attention to one thing real quick. Um, there are timestamps in the description below. That's for every single episode. So if you want to jump to our ratings or jump straight to our discussion, then I definitely wanted to make sure everybody knew where to check for those timestamps just right in the description below. And then of course, if you do want to know what movies I'm watching on a daily basis or weekly basis, follow me at CWRiley95 on Letterboxd. That's a really great way to interact with me and just get my quick thoughts on everything that I'm seeing and you can check on every rating that I've given and what films that I've given. Alan's not on there. Hashtag bring Alan back to Letterboxd. <laughs> I, I am on IMDb and I keep that one up dated pretty regularly, at least just with the ratings. So That's I true. don't even know my username. I think it's just Alan Rankin. Uh, probably. Uh, if you look for me, if you Google me on for my IMDb page, you can probably find me. That's one feature I really wish IMDb would do is integrate following people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like it's there, but it's really not a thing. So that'd, that'd be cool to be able to follow more people. Yeah. 
But nevertheless, Terminator Salvation. They dropped the four from the title. I think probably giving movies numbers had somewhat gone out of vogue, except Marvel brought it back right around this time. Yep. Uh, because we would get Iron Man 2. Um, notice nothing is ca- nothing is um, numbered anymore with Marvel movies. Um, we're not getting four Thor. It's just Thor, Love and Thunder or whatever. Right, right. So I do like that this is just Terminator Salvation. I think that's a good title. It was going to have a much longer title originally. It was going to be called Terminator Salvation. The future begins. Hmm. Yeah, I think Terminator Salvation works much better because... Even Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, kind of a mouthful, although it yeah. does have a, a much, I guess, a shorthand title of just being Terminator 3 instead of just Terminator, Rise of the Machines. So, Yeah, this was going to have like a subtitle and then a sub-subtitle, <laughs> getting very cumbersome. Nevertheless, this film was a early-ish summer blockbuster release of May 21st, 2009, mm-hmm. which is Memorial Day weekend, and it was the 23rd highest grossing film of any Memorial Day weekend. Oh, wow. And it should be noted that this film was released in the 25th anniversary of the original Terminator film. That's right. Yeah, because original Terminator came out in 1984. That's right. Yeah. Which is crazy to think it takes so dang long to get Terminator sequels. Yeah. Uh, Getting a fourth film after 25 years. I mean, if you saw the first Terminator when you were, you know, 25 and you watched Terminator Salvation, you'd be middle aged. If that, I mean, you'd be 50 years old. Yeah. Um, It's just kind of crazy how long it takes for these movies. And that pattern has not stopped. We will talk about that in upcoming reviews. But 2009 was a crazy massive year for cinema, particularly because James Cameron was he had abandoned Terminator. He created the first two films. They are extremely beloved. Make sure to go back and listen to our thoughts on those Terminator films, because I think you might be surprised what we think. Mm -hmm. But James Cameron directed a little film everybody may have heard of kind of an indie underground hit. Yeah, sleeper hit. Yep. A sleep sleeper hit. Yes, Avatar was grossed two billion dollars at the box office, broke his own record, surpassed Titanic, which previously held the record, mm-hmm. and just super massive. I was in the theater for Avatar with my 3D glasses on, hurting my head after two hours. <laughs> but I was also in the theater for Terminator Salvation. But of course, James Cameron's new independent property was a far bigger success. Yeah, yeah. It was only recently beat out by Avengers Endgame, which some might even call a bit of a cheat because they yep. like re-release uh, a different version of it to have, I think, a little bit more footage. Either way, <laughs> uh, yeah, for the longest time, it was the number one grossing movie of all time. $2.7 billion in the box office and also Terminator Salvation. How much did that make in the box office? Uh, Yeah, it didn't do that well so keep in mind it had a 200 million dollar budget and i read that it's like one of the highest budgets for an independently produced uh picture is that correct it probably is because this was produced by the halcyon company which went bankrupt after this movie well makes sense (laughs) 
And um, it should be noted that the $200 million budget doesn't just cover the entire expense of this film because you have to think about how much marketing costs. And then you also have to think about how much distribution rights cost mm -hmm. because Warner Brothers got distribution rights domestically and Sony got distribution rights internationally. Gotcha. I heard Sony paid $100 million Whoa. to distribute this internationally and Warner Brothers paid $60 million. Wow. So when all is said and done, how much was sunk into the film overall, you're approaching the half a billion dollars. Mark, yeah, definitely. For this movie. So we're going to talk about that here more in just a second about the incredibly high uh, financial expectations this movie had to achieve in order to be successful economically. But with a $200 million budget, it only grossed $125 million in the United States. Yikes. That's pretty that's, rough. That's rough. And that's $25 million less than last time. Uh, overseas, it grossed $246 million, which is $37 million from last time. Not too wide of a margin there, but the one thing it did was worldwide $371 million, which was $62 million than last time. The last movie grossed $433 million. If you look at it, if you look at them all together, um, after Terminator 2, the movies have just been going downhill financially. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it, it sounds like as far as, at least with Terminator 3, we also noted that the audience and critic score had also taken a big drop as well from, uh, from the second movie, which was really well liked from both critics and from audiences. So let me ask, what are the scores for this? Oh, it's going to be a gut punch. Ugh. So let's be positive. Let's start positive first. So right now it has an average score of 6.5 on IMDb. Okay. Well, that is a little bit higher from last time. It Yeah, higher from the 6.3. Not a lot, yeah. but hey, there's a ray of sunshine there. Now, the Rotten Tomato scores are very surprising to me considering our thoughts on Terminator 3. Just to refresh you, Terminator 3 had a 69% approval rating from critics, but a very low 46% from audiences. Right. Well, this time, only 33% of critics recommend this movie. It is considered Ooh. very rotten critically. Ooh, that is rough. Audiences actually saw this a little better, though, because they gave it a 54%. Um, still not good, but no. hey, a majority of audiences liked the movie. Yeah, I guess I thought it was okay at best. That is significantly worse, at least critically, oh. from last time. <laughs> significantly worse. It is crazy worse. And as far as critics' ratings go on Rotten Tomatoes, this is the second lowest in the franchise. The second lowest? Yeah, we'll, we'll get there next week. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got to say, last week... Terminator 3 received a meta score of 66, a shocking, generally positive reviews. Yeah. This week, Salvation got a 49, which means it's generally mixed reviews. Yeah. It's in the yellow. So it looks like critically and audience scores are not great. Looks like audiences like it a little bit more than critics do. But when you look at it for, with them both combined, you get the average score. It's pretty low. 
Now, the surprising thing is last week audiences gave this film a B plus through cinema score, which is the most accurate gauge of audiences at the time. <clears throat> and this week they gave it a B plus as well. Oh, so wow. audiences really thought it was they're equally good. Yeah, I, that is a bit surprising how high that audience score is from from the cinema score. This was also two firsts in the Terminator franchise. This was the first time a Terminator film was theatrically released with a PG-13 rating. Which I do remember caused quite a bit of controversy because most, for the last three movies, they've always been rated R. Right. All of the previous installments have been rated R, which we talked about whether they really deserved R ratings or not. I thought they all could have easily been PG-13 with a couple minor edits. But nevertheless, this was PG-13. If you did go back and watch the theatrical trailer, which we'll talk about here in a minute, they it did tout the R rating. Right. Um, they did um, cut out some topless nudity that really doesn't add anything to the plot. And in the very beginning of the film, when they're infiltrating that underground base, they fight one extra uh, robot. And then there's another extra scene where a guy gets stabbed with a screwdriver and it's a bit more violent. That's really all there is. The director's cut is available. I own it on the two combo pack Blu-ray set, and that is the official R-rated cut. Right. And that's the one I watched. Right. I just watched the one that was on Netflix. So that would be the theatrical cut because I didn't have any of that in mind. Now, the other first for the Terminator franchise is this is the first time it wasn't number one opening weekend at the box office. This actually was number two at the box office Oof. with a respectable $42.5 million, which is about on par mm -hmm. with the last film. The only difference is this movie's been five years later, so you do have to take in a little bit of inflation. Um, if you count the entire Memorial Day weekend, it grossed $51.9 million. <sighs> I mean, for a movie with a $200 million budget and with name recognition like Terminator, it should have been a higher opening weekend, I would say, than this. Yeah. Yeah. It and especially got Christian Bale in it. Yeah, it's got Christian Bale in it, which, again, coming off of The Dark Knight, I would have expected uh, Terminator Salvation to do much better in the box office than what it actually did opening weekend. It's pretty low, consider all things considered. Well, it was beat out by the very family-friendly sequel, Night at the Museum, Battle for the Smithsonian. Ah. And it's it's over Labor, um, excuse me, Memorial Day weekend, which I don't really understand why they chose to release it then. Uh, kids are out of school. Families want to go see a movie. Right. Memorial Day is like a historical significance through holidays. Night at the Museum has a lot of that kind of historical fantasy incorporated into it. I don't know. The other thing that the museum had going for it was it opened in over 600 more theaters right. than Terminator Salvation. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it not the museum just feels like it makes a little bit more sense to come out Memorial Day because of not only just the historical significance, but also, like you said, the families that now can see a movie with all the children with the kids out of school. So, uh, yeah, it is a strange it is a strange uh, time to release it. Maybe they were releasing it to have some kind of alternative because uh, 
most everything else here is Star Trek, which is PG-13, but it's been already been in for a few weeks. And X-Men Origins and X-Men Origins Wolverine came out this week, too, it looks like. But that was released as number six. So yeah. maybe they were trying to go for some kind of alternative. I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. Well, it didn't work. And <laughs> I mean, the top five at the box office were weird. There really wasn't any contenders between Night at the Museum and Terminator. Mm -hmm. And then came Star Trek, Angels and Demons, and Dance Flick, which no one remembers that last movie. Yeah, I don't think I've heard of that at all. No. So after a month of being in theaters, four weeks, it had dropped to number eight at the box office. Yikes. With And the film at that point domestically had only grossed $113.9 million. Yikes. Bad. That's not good. <laughs> That's pretty bad numbers. At this point, it should have done way, way better. Um, now, they did make a couple interesting choices in who they attached to this project. We do have the same writers coming back from last time, John Brancato and Michael Ferris. They did the script again. Danny Elfman did the score for this movie. Yeah, I noticed that in the opening credits, Danny Elfman as the composer, which is an interesting choice. Yeah, Danny Elfman always seems to work with Tim Burton. Mm -hmm. And if you watch a Tim Burton movie, the scores always sound very similar. I don't think this score really sounded like what I would think of as a Danny Elfman score. Yeah. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by that. Yeah, it is a very, it's not your typical Danny Elfman score. Usually, like you said, when you, when you think Danny Elfman, you think also Tim Burton, because he mostly works with him. But this is nothing like what he's done before. It's, it feels a little bit more, uh, I guess, cliche would be the word I would use, um, compared to some of the other scores that he's done. Now, just to give you an overall idea of what else was playing in theaters in 2009, Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards, Pixar's Up, which was actually an animated film nominated for Best Picture. Right. Of course, Avatar, Zombieland, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Watchmen, The Hangover, District 9, The Blind Side. Uh, 2012, which I never got to see. Alan saw it, right? I've seen it. It's been you years, it. though. A strong recommend? Uh, not from what I remember. <laughs> I just remember that was a big deal yep. when that movie came yeah, out. It was. At least it was to us. Um, Fast and Furious, Public Enemies with Johnny Depp, and of course, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. So uh, a lot of very memorable films and a lot of, I would say, films people have forgotten about from 2009. Yes, very much so. Directing this time, James Cameron, been busy on Avatar. We got McG. Alan, have you heard of McG? Oh, yes. I know all about okay. Mr. McG. He's got a you very... don't seem very positive. Yeah, he's got a very... He's a man with a very odd name and a very um, <laughs> odd lineup of movies that he's done. He started off with Charlie's Angels. Yeah. And then Terminator Salvation. He also did one other that I know of, but I can't remember, think of it off the top of my head. So I know the name McGee, but f of all the movies that I've heard about, they don't usually come with the highest regards. They don't come with the highest regards, but I'm actually going to be a McGee defender, I guess, because everything I've seen of his, I've actually liked. 
To be fair, I also haven't seen too much from of his stuff other than Terminator Salvation. I think that's really the only one that I know of that I that at least have seen. So, I well, didn't you and I watch The Babysitter on Netflix with a couple of our other friends? No, I wasn't there for that one. Uh, okay, well, I like The Babysitter on Netflix, and I guess they've already they're in post production on The Babysitter too, which mm-hmm. I'm happy about. Um, I did like the first Charlie's Angels. It's pretty fun, even though it's super cheesy. He did We Are Marshall, which was kind of a big deal, kind of a very Disney-esque, remember the Titans type movie. This Means War, Chris Pine, Reese Witherspoon, Tom Hardy. I like that movie. And he was the producer of one of my and my fiance's favorite TV shows, teen dramas, The O.C. Ah, yes. Why they thought, you know what, McGee's our man for Terminator. It's the same thing like last time with the last director. It's just like... Why? Why did they pick this guy? Yeah. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, when I saw the name Mick G, Terminator Salvation, I was like, "What?" Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember Alan. Did you see this movie in the theater? No, this one I didn't catch in mm. the theater. I watched it at my uncle's house after it wouldn't have been very long after it was put out on Blu-ray. So I know I watched it within the year of two thousand nine, but I never did get a seat in the theater. Gotcha. So I did go see it in theater. I'm pretty sure I saw it with my dad. And then, of course, when it came out on home video, I picked up the Blu-ray. I was very excited to get that Blu-ray for that. And I watched it quite a bit um, in 2009, 2010. And I probably revisited it once, maybe twice in the years following. But I haven't seen this movie in a very long time. Yeah, that's the same with me. I think the last time I watched it would have been the year that it came out, 2009. So there are really oh. only a couple of things that I actually remembered in this movie when I was watching it. But wow. for the most part, I'm pretty much brand new to this one. So let's go back to 2009. And we both saw the trailers for it. Do you remember being very excited to see this movie or like you said where you're just like oh my uncle got it i'll give it a watch you know i actually don't know what my thoughts were on this movie when back in 2009 um i don't remember seeing it back in the day if i were to have gone back now that i have seen it and watch it for the first time in 2009 it would look interesting it looks something that's like a mixture of well i guess not really a mixture of but looks like fallout 3 but put it in a movie form. Um, I go also yeah. with a more mainline, uh, more Hollywood story latched onto it. So it would intrigue me. It does have a very interesting trailer. I'll say that. But seeing the movie now, I do think it gives away way too much. I thought the same thing. I thought that it was, it showed off some really incredible action scenes, which as we've noted, that's really what the Terminator trailers do. Um, it doesn't look anything like the future aesthetically we've seen in the previous films. And it does really spoil a major plot point of the movie. Yeah. I don't know why they did that. Um, I can see this trailer also appealing to a younger audience because I remember being very excited to see this movie. And you're right. It does show it's rated R at the very end. Right. But as we came to know, good for me. It was PG-13, so I was able to go see it in theaters, and this was my very first Terminator experience. Now, audiences didn't have to wait, what would it be, uh, five years to see this movie, a very long time. 
they only had to wait four because Terminator did return to the small screen. Oh, yeah, it that's came right. to the Sci-Fi Channel. Yes, in 2008. Um, none of the original cast, but the Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, once again, going with the very long titles <laughs> as usual, uh, did come to the Sci-Fi Channel 2008 with Alina uh, Hetty as Sarah Connor, who, if you've watched Game of Thrones, you know who she is. She was also um, in 300, which came out not too, I think it came out a little bit before mm -hmm. this movie. She was a big deal in that. So she plays Sarah Connor and um, I don't really know any of the other people. So as of this recording, I've watched the first five episodes and um, it's a, the first season is only eight episodes and the series was only 31 episodes. Gotcha. So I would say it's pretty much on par with TV and 2008. It's okay. I think I like their ideas a lot better than what they decided to do with Terminator 3. Because for those who don't know, this is an alternative to Terminator 3. Oh, this okay. picks up um, very shortly after the, a couple years after the events of Terminator 2. And um, they actually time travel into the future into 2007 from 1999. And um, also somebody who time travels back into the past is Kyle Reese's brother that um, just happened here towards the end of the season. And of course they battle more Terminators. Um, this John Connor is much better than Nick Stahl. He's much more in line with the Edward Furlong type. So if you're interested in getting a different take, if you didn't really like Terminator three, then I would give this one a go. It is streaming free on IMDb TV, which is quite glitchy. If you don't have an Amazon product, uh, it works on your iPhone, okay. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to keep watching the series and I'm going to finish it out. So once I'm done with the series, I'll give it a recommend or not as to if it's worthy to fit into the Terminator lore. But, well, starting back in 1999, which as you'll remember, Terminator 2 came out in 91, Terminator 3 all the way in 2004. So two years after uh, C2 Pictures purchased the rights, two Terminator film uh, ideas were mapped out and were supposed to be developed simultaneously. Teddy Safarian was hired to write Terminator 3, and eventually he just got story credit, but David Wilson was to write Terminator 4. And before any revisions were done, Terminator 3 initially took place in 2001 and revolved around the first attacks between Skynet and humans, Terminator 4 would eventually follow immediately afterward and be centered primarily on the war briefly seen in the first two films. Warner Brothers gave that film the codename Project Angel. So Nick Stahl and Claire Danes were contracted to come back, and the script was in development, but Arnold's role would be limited considered he was now the governor of California. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Now, MGM and Halcyon Production Companies got in a lawsuit over the rights. Then, as I already mentioned, Warner Brothers and Sony paid big bucks to be the distributors of this film. So, once again, as we can see, all these major studios had a ton of money invested, not just in the budget, but in the rights to the film. So, from the outset, this film had to do massively well at the box office to make this reboot and future sequels worth it. Mm -hmm. 
Which we noted uh, didn't exactly happen. Yes, didn't happen. They did not have the Terminator future equipment like we do. And we could see all this money was not going to pay off. Right. Now, while watching the special features for this movie, McGee noted that Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, was a big influence on his vision for this film. I can definitely see that. Yes. And we have actually reviewed all of the Mad Max films. And even while I was watching it with my dad this time around, my dad's like, this feels just like Mad Max, especially when they've got that big truck yeah. with the front grill and they're busting through the city. I'm like, this is straight out of Mad Max, which yeah. I liked. I'm like, hey, go for it, right? Mm -hmm. It makes in Terminator too. Yeah, it, they do. Luckily, they do spend pretty much all of their time in the future rather than. Oh, yeah. Mostly in modern day and then flashes to the future. Another major influence, which I definitely saw was Children of Men. Yeah, I can see it. Uh, especially those ending battle sequences and Children of Men. Also, there are two, as far as I can remember, two one take shots in this movie. And that was a big thing with Children of Men. Mm -hmm. um, apparently, the Star Wars trilogy influenced McGee for this movie. I don't really see it. Yeah, I don't really see it either. I don't know. Now, another big controversy that didn't help this film's press was a leaked audio of Christian Bale going on a psychotic ah, rant yes. to the cinematographer. I know about this. This was a meme for a while. Yeah, I went back and listened to the audio. I couldn't remember which movie it was from. Mm -hmm. Christian Bale just went off yeah, he, i mean he tore into that light well it was a it was a guy on lights wasn't it it was the cinematographer looking at the lights ah okay okay and he's like you're the most unprofessional dp i've ever worked with he said i'm not coming back on this set if you're on this set i mean christian bale comes across as the biggest jerk in the world yeah. a complete prima donna yeah profanity laden just utterly eviscerates this guy for four minutes straight just won't stop and i'm like this guy has anger issues so from what i understand um christian bale is a very great actor he's cool on screen but don't cross him in any little way because yes. he he comes across as a complete diva, which is sad to say. Right. I do remember reading that he did come out publicly and apologize. But yeah, this yeah. recording of him just ripping it's, the guy to shreds is become kind of famous uh, now because it's just it feels so, like you said, so diva. Another thing that really mired this film's production was the Halcyon Company faced multiple lawsuits for mm. allegedly cutting people out of contractual deals. Really? Yes. They got sued at least two or three times for a lot of oh. money, which, of course, is why they went bankrupt uh, um, after this happened. That's why you don't see any more movies from the Halcyon Company. Gotcha. Okay. They also went crazy with tie-ins for this movie, which is probably because they're trying to make up. They're, they sunk a ton of money into this movie. The most expensive Terminator film ever when you factor in all of these other extra costs. Right, right. So, of course, they're going to contract. Uh, they contract like four book deals and oh. two comic book deals and a video game deal and a ride at Six Flags. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
Yeah. So we got a prequel novel, Terminator Salvation from the Ashes, written by famed Star Wars writer Timothy Zahn. Hmm. Um, a novelization of this film was released. Two other books were released, Cold War and Trial by Fire. A four-issue prequel comic, Dark Horse released a 12-issue sequel comic oh. titled Terminator Salvation, The Final Battle. Toys were released. Like I said, an official ride. And a video game tie-in um, came out for the Xbox 360 and PS3. Plus, there was a computer animated prequel to the video game. Whoa. So, there's a lot of uh, merchandise with this movie. Oh. They really went overboard. And I would say this is kind of the beginning of the end for that stuff because you don't see video game movie tie-ins anymore. Yeah. Very rarely will they release a novelization. They still do sometimes. Um, if they do, it's incredibly discreet and it just doesn't happen very often. They really have very laid low on even toys. Yeah. I would say as well. You don't see that advertised as much anymore. Yeah. Mostly toys from what I understand are more of a collector's thing now. Mostly collectors go after those. The other thing is this film is dedicated to Stan Winston. Right. I did notice that at the very end. I think it's like with the first of the role before it's before the rolling credits. Yeah. So they were really in his debt to all of these incredible um, animatronic type or puppeted um, creations in this film, mm -hmm. which we'll talk a bit more about that later. Yeah. Well, listeners, if you haven't seen Terminator Salvation and you don't want the film spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and watch the film and come back and click play and we'll be ready to get into all the juicy spoiler details for the film. 2018, 14 years after Judgment Day. John Connor, now played by Christian Bale, is leading a small band within the Resistance, still located in California. In a deadly mission, which only he survives, his crew, which had the smallest cameo by Terry Crews, has stolen a signal that enables them to shut down the Skynet machines. Meanwhile, Marcus Wright, played by Sam Worthington, is alive when he shouldn't be. See, before Judgment Day, Marcus was put to death by the U.S. government because he was a criminal and was on death row, but he sold his body to Dr. Serena Kogan, played by Helena Bonham Carter, who just so happens, works for Cyberdyne Systems. Marcus meets a young Kyle Reese, played by Anton Yelchin. They're making their way out of LA when they meet Jane Alexander, Oscar nominee for Kramer vs. Kramer in a super limited role. I couldn't help but notice it because I just saw Kramer v. Kramer and my dad's like, what is Jane Alexander doing in three minutes of this movie? <laughs> so Jane Alexander and the whole crew, along with some other people, and Reese specifically is taken to Skynet Central. Earlier in the week, a hit list was intercepted by the Resistance Command, which is located on a submarine, which had Reese and Connor topping the list. Because I guess they somehow know that Reese will be John's father. They just know everything. I guess. Okay. After failing to free Reese, Marcus helps Resistance fighter pilot Blair Williams, played by Moon Bloodgood, back to Connor's base. But a magnetic landmine partially blows up Marcus, which revealed him to be a one-of-a-kind infiltrator Terminator model. Connor, his wife Kate, recast as Bryce Dallas Howard in a very limited role, mm -hmm. and his second-in-command, Barnes, played by Common, are determined to destroy Marcus. But 
Blair realizes the good in Marcus and in a daring escape sets him free. Alas, not before John has Marcus in his crosshairs, except thankfully, Marcus convinces John he is their best hope of saving Reese from Skynet, and the bombing the Resistance is going to commence on the headquarters in the morning. Marcus successfully infiltrates Skynet, but he learns that was always the plan. Skynet used his empathetic human qualities to lure John Connor into the Skynet to easily execute him. To make matters worse, Marcus learns the signal the Resistance hopes to use against Skynet is a trap. Defying his commands, Marcus finds John rescuing Kyle and, surprise, fighting the newly built T-800 Arnold Schwarzenegger model. After a lengthy, intense fight, John and Marcus defeat the T-800, but at great cost. John does successfully set off a nuclear explosion, utterly disseminating Skynet in the US, but he is dying from wounds inflicted from his trying fight. Marcus, still made with a human heart, offers to transfer his organ. This is Marcus's second chance. With John's successful heart transplant, he monologues, they won the battle, but Skynet's global presence is strong. They must still win the war. As credits roll. I think one of my biggest positives of this movie is I do like how much, I guess, lore that they add to the Terminator franchise or the Terminator universe. Because in movies past, we've had a little bit of lore here and there, like uh, flashes to the future, explanations as to what happens in the future. But we never really like dive too deep into what exactly the future is like. This is the first movie in the Terminator series. and I think if I'm not mistaken, the only one where we actually spend the entire the entire runtime in this future setting. And with that, McGee does have a lot of. Uh, he does add a lot of like Terminator types. Like we get to see a couple of Terminators that uh, have big Gatling guns latched onto them or a really big Terminator that picks up all of the humans and uh, in a camp then puts them into some kind of carrying crate. So it's, I like the fact that they add on to like a lot onto the Terminator lore here. That was my biggest positive about this film that I was so happy about is I felt by Terminator 3, they had really exhausted the whole plot line of going back in time to kill John Connor or Sarah Connor. It had been done too much. So finally, we are in the future. They jump us way ahead to 2018. And we do get to see this post-apocalyptic world. And what uh, John Connor is up to, I like that he's not the leader we really think of him as yet. He will become that. Right. And don't they mention something like sometimes some people say he's a prophet and others say he's just kind of crazy because yeah. he really has no proof. Something like that. That was interesting. Yeah. And I do like we get to see the T-600s and uh, all of these other creations. And then they do humanize um, Skynet through Marcus, which I thought was interesting uh, we go back to 2003. That's where the film opens yeah. before Judgment Day. And I thought that was a nice connection they made across that of this kind of infiltrator, empathetic Terminator. So, yeah, the world building is great, I would say, in this movie. Yeah, it does make, I feel, for a much more interesting uh, a much more interesting world. Because like with those references and homages to uh Mad Max, uh, not Fury Road, but it does feel like that. Uh, Close, yeah. yeah. 
to the road warrior, I can, I can definitely see, you know, where those homages and stuff are at. So I think that that does add on to, I guess, engrossing the audience into this post-apocalyptic world that we have. And we kind of get to see the origins of John Connor's like absolute control and becoming the, the leader that we've been, that we've been told about in previous movies. And I think they did a great job with the color palette, keeping that consistent. It looks very bleak. It does give me like, feel like the book of Eli. I think those movies took a lot from each other Mm -hmm. for the post-apocalyptic world. Um, And the technology that we just mentioned with the new Skynet, like they have these motorcycles, a giant Terminator, the ships make an appearance, which we've always seen. Uh, I think this is a very logical outgrowth of where Skynet would be because we've always had very limited, just see the Terminator robots and see the ships flying around and it looks like they're fighting in a giant junkyard. Right. But this is more of a desolate wasteland, more of a, as we, as you can tell, the world has been abandoned. So I really give them a high recommendation on their production design. And in the special features, the people were just so happy to be working on this, really gave it their all. So to those that designed the production of the film, I think they did a great job. Yeah. And admittedly, there are some pretty cool action scenes in this movie, too. There are some long ones, too. Some pretty long actions. There's one that goes on for, it feels like, 30 minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. But I found most of the action in this movie to be rather enjoyable. I noted that the last movie... My biggest, one of my bigger problems with it was while the action is fun, it's exhausting action. It gets to a point where there's so much of it and so much is happening, it becomes exhausting. I never really felt that with this one. I never felt exhausted when we got towards the end. I guess not nearly as much as we had, at least in the last couple of movies. I never felt exhausted. I always felt invigorated because of how well this action was shot. And the really cool thing is it's not, they didn't really rely on CGI as much as you may think. A lot of this is actually miniatures. Yeah, I noticed um, that. Mm-hmm. So I got to say that opening um, action sequence where they're landing and the satellite dishes are blowing up and it feels like a legitimate war zone. Those satellite dishes were miniatures and they composited the helicopter on, which was a real helicopter with a blue screen behind it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, CG elements. So there was a ton that went into the creation of that scene. Uh, I, I love the opening scene. It's fantastic action. And then that's that one shot McGee was really proud of when John Connor comes up, jumps in the helicopter, and he's taking off, and he gets hit, and he crashes on his head. Oh, yeah. And then he starts fighting that Terminator. And I think one of the reasons the film's visual effects hold up after 11 years is because a lot of this is either motion capture work or they are fighting, they built physical robots, animatronic robots that they interacted with. So usually nothing is created whole cloth out of CGI. Usually every a lot of this stuff is physical. Yeah, that's something I really do have to commend it for is its use. I would even say it's overuse of uh, practical effects at times because those Terminators, they're, the two that I mentioned that have the Gatling guns are practical there are i think towards the end they're more cgi when they're fighting on terminator and in, in the factory but pretty much for the most part uh there's a lot of practical effects being used here and i was actually surprised by that i was expecting it to be pretty much a cgi mess like kind of what we had last time <laughs> 
but they ended up not really being the, there's a lot of CGI here, yes, but it does take they do take their time to put in more practical effects, which I really enjoyed. I'm I'm honestly shocked this didn't get nominated for like sound mixing or sound editing because when I was watching it in the theater room, the sound was some of the best I've ever heard on a home video release. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was loud, explosive, engaging. Oh, it sounded great. It didn't get any nods for sound, which I think is a missed opportunity. Yeah, no, I can't say the same. But then again, I watched it on a small TV that's right behind me right now. So that's probably the reason why I didn't notice it. I got to say, definitely pick this one up if you're looking to show off your sound system mm -hmm. because that opening scene is awesome. Um, one of the other things that I was really glad to see is Sarah Connor's tapes come back into play yeah. for the first time. They, they just disappeared yeah. after the first movie. At the, we see her <laughs> recording them at the end of the first movie. And then they aren't brought back. They aren't even, I don't think they're mentioned at all nope. until finally they are shown up in this movie. It's really a smart idea to show John Connor come coming back to the wisdom of his mom. And I can understand why they didn't bring them into the second film because teenagers are, you know, they want to be rebellious. They don't really want to listen to their parents. But John Connor holds physical proof of his mom predicting the future right because she's experienced it and i i liked that they had those callbacks to the previous three films um i don't think they overdid it though i think they used it sparingly enough yeah they, in, they were by, while still making this its own movie yeah they were definitely sparing those uh those callbacks i noticed a few of them but they again never really felt like so in your face about it which a lot of times movies like this tend to do they tend to say, remember this? And they like make sure that you see it and it kind of gets a little bit annoying. I never really felt that with this one, which again, they're positive for me. The callbacks that they have are rather subtle and actually work with the story usually. I do think it was a smart idea to title this film Terminator Salvation because it works on two fronts. You can think of it as literally the Terminator is their salvation. Mm-hmm throughout this movie because there's this guy who is on death row you got to be pretty bad to be put to death by the united states government right um, but he is on death row and he there is this mystery clearly we know that he has been resurrected somehow but to what purpose we're not sure so i think they keep that mystery under wraps pretty good throughout the film and when it is revealed that he is this terminator and he did achieve his mission. He did bring John Connor into Skynet. Uh, I think those are pretty good twists for a franchise that's never really had twists or like real mysteries to it. Yeah, that was the scene when he realizes that he's actually a Terminator was one of the few scenes that I actually remembered um, when mm -hmm. I first watched this movie. It's when he looks down and sees, you know, all the metal inside of him and he screams no. So that scene I did remember. Um, but yeah, it's, it is interesting that they kind of take the Terminators and flip it on its head where, like you said, they have to use the Terminator as, you know, their salvation. They need to use the, the Terminator is the thing that saves them at the end of the day, which is, it, it kind of harkens back to the, to, um, Terminator 2 in some ways, 
But this time around, where you're spending more time developing the character that is the Terminator on a more human level than than what we did in Terminator 2. And this, having Sam Worthington's character be basically a cyborg, he's part man, part machine, I think this allows them to ask deeper questions than the series has ever really brought up before. And it's basically what happens when man creates something in their own image and then man experiences a fall just as in when man rebelled against god and there was that initial fall of creation and then is there a second chance for humanity well is there a second chance for this cyborg machine of marcus so bringing up these kind of biblical images and i mean they're not very subtle because they quote scripture twice. Yeah. They talk about prayer and they thank God. I at least like that more because in the past three films, they're bringing up these kind of deep philosophical, theological type themes and they don't explore them whatsoever. It's just like, it's a robot. Let's have it blow stuff up. Yeah. At least this film is addressing some of those things. Yeah. I will agree with you on that. Um, but yeah, you are right. It is not exactly the most sort of movie, especially when one of the first images we see is a quote of scripture uh, with Sam <laughs> Worthington and then him being raised up on a, on the table, but is actually more of in the shape of a cross um mm -hmm. is not very subtle that this also happens later on when he's chained up he's uh, also more akin to the shape of a cross so yes I, I will agree with you while um i do think that they do bring up more questions i, th I think that the terminator series hasn't exactly been one to go very deep with anything the most we see is that with number two i felt up until this point and even that was like uh it was rather surface level. I've always found these movies to be rather surface level with the questions that they ask. But you are correct. They do seem to ask more of those kinds of questions here than they have in movies past, which I do appreciate, um, all things considered. And, you know, when you come to see a Terminator movie, Terminator 2 really set the precedent of explosive, just incredible action. And that's also what people want. People want a gripping, thrilling action film, which is what they deliver here in this as well. But at least we have a redemptive character arc, which we've really not seen in the past few movies. At least the past, uh, the third one was an utterly pointless film that just had this uh, very paint by numbers script to it, which is why I'm very surprised to see the same screenwriters did um the last movie they also did this movie so apparently they're clearly their writing improved over right. the years um i think probably this is as much as i could ever get or ask for out of a terminator film as far as it exploring character arcs uh, through redemption and relationships sure it's not subtle but it's a terminator movie and usually those aren't very subtle as we've come to see right so, of course, every Terminator movie has to have one conundrum. And this one is how does Skynet know Kyle Reese is John Connor's father? Right. Because that's kind of the crux of the film is now they don't want to eliminate just John Connor, but Kyle Reese has been born. And so a hit list has been released and surprise, Kyle Reese is their number one. And that didn't make any sense. Yeah. If you give it a thought. Now, while watching this movie, 
I, I had the foreknowledge of all three films. I didn't even think about it. But then afterwards, I'm like, wait, when I was writing the description, I'm like, wait a minute. Why would Kyle Reese be on Skynet's, you know, radar? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't know. It, it is. It is a weird thing. It, it's, it is a weird thing that Kyle Reese um, is on the hit list because you're right. They wouldn't know that he would be the, you know, the key um, for humanity to survive and eventually kill off Skynet um, and save or at least save humanity uh, because John Connor would still be alive. I don't know how they know that. I don't really know what what the reason is for them for John for Kyle Reese to be on the hit list. It makes sense for John Connor to be on the hit list, obviously. But Kyle Reese seems like a weird choice. It's a weird choice. Um, it's a weird choice to bring the Jane Alexander character in this movie and have her do nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I would I would go as far as to say not just her character, but she's a great example of this, of characters that are here, but have absolutely nothing to them. I feel Marcus, the character of Marcus has the has probably the most character development Yes, but even then, I feel it's rather surface level. They really don't go too deep with him at all. In fact, for the first half an hour of the movie, before I remembered what he was here for, I was thinking, "Who is this guy? Why is he keep showing up? And why is he taking up so much screen time?" He doesn't. I don't know. I don't see any good reason for him to be here. What is his purpose? And then when I remembered that, oh right, he was the Terminator that I remember seeing chained up. Then it started to click. Oh, now I remember why he's here. But Still, I don't think his character or really anybody's character here is very well defined. They definitely could have added more backstory as to why in the world he was on death row. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they give us some generic like, oh, he was he murdered so many people <laughs> and, you know, it's death for the death penalty, death penalty because of that. Uh, but that's really about it. That's all the explanation we get um, for My- pretty much the whole movie. Right. And my guess is the reason they don't go too far into that is because they want us on his side. Yeah, I guess so. If we would have known he's some psycho Charles Manson BTK or whatever, nobody's going to root for him. Yeah, right. So they have to make us realize he is still a very bad person. Maybe hopefully you think he's maybe hopefully you've seen the Green Mile Mm -hmm. and you think he's this John Coffee type guy or the Native American guy in the beginning, maybe you hope he is remorseful of what he's done and he is going to, you know, he he dies, but then he does get this second chance at life. But I will agree with you, Alan, there's very little character depth to these, but at least they retain certain character elements throughout this picture, such as Marcus, this is his redemption narrative. John Connor is going to become the leader we all want him to be. So there's kind of these very basic archetypes that get you to root and be on the side of these characters. Right. Yeah, they are basic archetypes. Now, Marcus actually reminds me of uh, Marcus from Detroit Become Human, like a lot, a lot. He his name is Marcus in Detroit Become Human. He wears that trench coat. Um, He's got the shaven head. There are some pretty major similarities between the two of them. Um, now, obviously, in the toy become human, he has a much different character arc. But the the similarities I thought were there for me. Is Sam Worthington in that game? 
Does he play know. Marcus? No, no, Marcus is played by a different guy. But oh. they look very similar. Um, okay, it's on. My, it's sitting on my PS4. I haven't got to it yet. Pretty good, pretty good game. Now we know where they were influenced from. Yeah. <laughs> One of my other negatives of the movie is is his editing. I think this ha- honestly has some really poor editing to it. There are mm. scenes that follow other scenes that have no business following that that scene. We go for a couple of times some pretty major hooks in logic. I found it to be rather distracting in some points because we don't really have it's kind of hard to follow this movie because scenes sometimes oftentimes actually don't lead into the scene that comes after it. Um, they just kind of seem like two random scenes that are just stuck together for some reason. There are a couple gaps that the movie just wants you to go with. I would say, I'd say right off the bat is, well, first of all, I don't know if they really should have had the whole uh, Marcus death row scene to be the very first scene of the movie. I don't know. I, I wish it was just that opening battle, but I understand they're establishing him as mostly the main character. But yeah, there's that scene where um, in the very beginning when John Connor and his crew are underground and they're stealing the plans and the signal. And I'd say that's almost a bit of a drop line is this whole signal setup, mm-hmm. um, which turns out to be fake. And then all of a sudden, only Connor is the one that climbs out of the hole and everybody dies underground and then everybody dies up top and yeah i I don't know that one does kind of feel a bit jarring how in one scene he he repels all the way down figures out all these plans and nobody comes back up with them only he comes back up and he's the only one to survive right right my other thing too the dialogue in this movie i feel is rather rather poor there are a lot of lines in here that are just really cliche and that's i think my biggest negative of this movie Terminator Salvation just feels like a cliche mess to me because there are so many things here that are so cliche and they all kind of compound onto each other and then you get scenes where uh, we meet Blair for the first time and then five minutes later not even five minutes later it's like 30 seconds later she's being attacked and then those guys are dead and then we move on and it's just random scenes that I feel are just kind of thrown in here again back to the editing that either don't lead into another or just have no reason being here. I guess my expectations weren't very high up considering they were very low coming out of the last movies and I would say as far as editing and dialogue goes for Terminator films I would say it's pretty much on par with the other films while watching it I didn't think about the editing distracting me too much. As I said, there were a few scenes where it just kind of makes quick jumps in time because they want to progress the story along. So they do kind of make those certain jumps. But and as far as the dialogue goes, yeah, it's not top rate. It's not going to win any kind of scores. And of course, I feel like a lot of character moments are a wasted i guess i should say potential character moments um because you don't really find much out about these people for instance you just brought up the scene where marcus and blair she just starts cuddling him yeah he saved her 
and it is slim pickings in the future, so we can understand that right. a little bit. Um, why she gets naked in front of him in the director's cut right before that, I don't know. That's beyond me. Yeah. But And she said, you're a good guy, and he's like, I'm not a good guy. And she's like, well, you are now. Okay, well, that's, yeah, you're right. That's very basic writing. Yeah. And of course, I would have loved to this movie to have gone a bit, gone a bit deeper. And there's a huge missed opportunity, a massive waste between um, John Connor and Kate, Kate Connor, his wife. Um, what's her name? Bryce Dallas Howard yeah. has no role in this movie. Yeah, her role, honestly, pretty much any the women in this movie are rather, I just feel are just weak all the way around. Helena Bottom Cardor mm. has a very, very small role and pretty much her whole plan is just to explain to us at the very end uh, who Marcus really is. Um, Bryce Dallas Howard's character, Kate, doesn't really do a whole lot. And Blair's character, uh, the character of Blair, just kind of shows up and is here for... I don't really know why she's here, but I think the women in this movie are honestly really weak characters all the way around. It's surprising considering Sarah Connor is such a pivotal, strong female lead of at least the second film. And then we add the female Terminator in the third film, which go back and listen to our thoughts on that. I mean, they make the Blair Williams character a fighter pilot, she can't really take care of herself when it comes to those three men. She needs Marcus to save her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I do wish women, at least one woman would have been given somewhat of a better role. Like maybe John Connor, instead of having uh, common be his second in command, maybe if he would have had a woman, I don't know. It It is a bit of a weird choice that, and that's one thing that always stuck out to me was Bryce Dallas Howard had like three lines in, was utterly pointless. She was pregnant. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. We'll probably never come back I, to. I don't know why she's pregnant. I don't think it really explains why she needs to be pregnant in the story, but she is. I, I don't know. And it is weak writing that they bring back Helena Bonham Carter to shorthand spoon feed the audience, yeah. Marcus's role and, and clear up everything it's better if characters can discover revelations on their own instead of uh, being told everything, which is disappointing. It would have been better if Marcus would have realized he basically led John Connor and Kyle Reese into a trap mm-hmm. and was going to upend the future as they know it. We just get that weird hologram of her and he throws a stool through the glass yeah. to to do it. It's a weak moment. It really comes out of nowhere. It, I don't really think it makes any sense yeah i i honestly don't think that um i I honestly don't think that marcus's character arc really makes a whole lot of sense um i understand what they're going for um where this man who was a killer is and is also now a terminator is the thing that ends up saving humanity right that's what they're going for but my problem is and I think this has mostly to do with just character development in general. It's so one of the things we noted in the previous movies with Terminators is that they are very human like, but when you really get dig down deep, they're not, they're cold blooded killers because they're built to be that way. 
Um, Marcus is not that way. Marcus is definitely a human who goes backwards and becomes a Terminator, not by his own volition, really. And so when he finds out later on that he is a Terminator and then he ends up fulfilling what he was supposed to do the whole time, I feel the motivate. I feel that the character moment when he realizes this is weakened because of that. I feel like there could have been a much stronger, uh, much stronger character element tier than I guess to turn him into a Terminator and him not realize it until it's too late. He's you know he is already at a scene where. Uh, he realizes that he's not really human anymore. I feel like, I feel like there could have been something much stronger there. That would have made Marcus's character arc or even character struggle stronger mm -hmm. if, because this is something that G talked about in the special features was free will. Just because Marcus was engineered by Skynet, he is a unique creation because he is still part man, thus he has free will. I would have liked it, as you were saying, if Marcus would have dealt more so with that struggle because he just always does the right thing, which seems to be in complete contrast to the character we're shown in the beginning who's on death row. Now, maybe he's just trying to make as many amends as possible and really turn over a new leaf. Nevertheless, I think it would have been interesting if he would have gone bad for part of it and he would have confirmed John Connor's suspicions, his prejudices, but then ultimately Marcus turns back to the good side. Maybe that would have been cliche as well, but at least it would have given character struggle right. and would have helped us be more so on his side instead of him just always doing the right thing. I can right. see what you're saying with that. I think that would have made for right. a stronger character. And I think this mostly has to do because we juggle two main characters. Our two main characters are John Connor and Marcus. Yes. I honestly, I feel like Terminator Salvation would have worked way better had they dropped John Connor almost completely and gone solely with Marcus's journey because it's trying to tell the story between these two characters. And the problem is... John Connor has very little to him, I feel, already. And Marcus has a lot of potential, but they do nothing with it. They, they have it, the building blocks are there, but they only take it right past the foundation and just kind of stop. It just feels like, had the had the movie focused solely on Marcus's character, I feel he would have had a much more easier time exploring that idea of free will and that idea of humanity being taken away from a man. And dive deeper into that and still have maybe some John Connor stuff over here, but having play more of a supporting role than a lead role. And I didn't personally see the movie as split as you say it is. I personally did see this more so as Marcus's story. And he did seem to get a majority of the screen time and John Connor, I did, see, I did see him more of as a supporting character. He is still crucial to the plot and mixing in Kyle Reese. I really did like that. We finally get to see their meetup and we get to see some of these beginnings. But to me, this very does feel like Marcus's story. And I saw him more as the lead character of it. Um, now, of course, they probably could have handled certain things better. But as far as a Terminator film goes, I'm getting the action that I want while at the same time it does feel like now it's not a super deep movie none of these movies are I think I'm going to commend it at least for bringing up some of these things and making me think about that stuff 
despite it being fairly basic. But I think what we're what they really want you to worry about is the Terminators and stopping Skynet yeah. and seeing this big action extravaganza, which I will say it delivers on that. I honestly didn't have those issues that you're having. I can see what you're saying. And of course, it could have definitely been bolstered and made much stronger. But um, I think the creators were far more interested in making sure the animatronics and the set design looked cool because they're trying to make a Mad Max movie with robots. And those Mad Max movies aren't deep at all. Right. But uh, I didn't have as many of those issues, I'll say. So as far as storytelling goes, I find this one to be quite different and at least more entertaining than the other ones because the other ones felt like a partial Michael Myers stalker horror film or just a big shoot 'em up between cool looking robots. Um, so as far as the story arc goes between the characters, John Connor doesn't have much of one because we focused on them so much. Uh, we do get to see him become the leader of the resistance because the whole command is taking out. But I think this calls back to Sarah Connor's um, final lines in Terminator 2 is that if a Terminator can learn to like work with humanity, then she has hope for humanity itself. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the biggest thing of this movie is hope. Marcus has his redemption. He says, do you believe in second chances? And that's what they all get in this movie is a second chance at fighting the machines, whereas Terminator 3 ended on the world being nuked. Right. And this desolate ending. This ends on that hopeful comeback type ending. Right. Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Terminator Salvation? In some ways, Terminator Salvation finally delivers something that I guess you and I both have kind of been wanting. Uh, I guess a more fleshed out story that deals with different things. We have been on rinse and repeat for the last three movies. And f at least we get something much different this time. Now we're spending pretty much the entirety of the movie in the future after it's after Skynet has already assumed control. So that part's great. All things considered. The, my problem is this is not nearly as cohesive of a story because of its technical elements than before. Its editing, I feel, is really bad and really distracting for me because it, there are scenes that are adjacent to one another but have no reason being adjacent to one another. There's no lead-in from one scene to the next. Um, all, again, the, uh, the dialogue and the characters are really weak here. I feel that there are a lot of things that they completely missed out on that I feel could have been explored and talked about some more. So at the end of the day, while it has a lot of fun action sequences, and the only reason why I ever go back to watch this is probably for the action sequences, but even then... I don't really see myself doing that anytime in the future because, again, I'm not the biggest fan of the Terminator series. So I find it better than three when you look at it from a general sense. But that's about as far as I'm willing to go with it. So five out of ten, mild not recommend. Oh, wow. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. Terminator Salvation is this franchise's saving grace, touting jaw-dropping visual effects, many of which are real, and an investing storyline that not only pays tribute, but neatly ties back into the original trilogy. 
I'm eager for the sequel. Sadly, due to a myriad of issues, the chief of which is low financial returns, we never got a sequel. But this does, for the most part, act as a decent enough conclusion to the series and a standalone film itself. I'm shocked why so many people didn't like it or view it as mediocre. My main guess is it's coming off the heels of the poorly remembered Terminator 3 and has to live in the nostalgia shadow of T1 and T2. It's been about 10 years since I've seen this movie, so there's some but little influencing nostalgia associated with this film for me. Of the four so far, this is the best Terminator film. I loved it. Terminator Salvation receives 8 stars out of 10 with a strong recommend. Oh, wow. I'm actually surprised. I loved this movie. Now, I will agree with you, Alan. This film could have been stronger in so many ways. I didn't have as many technical problems as you did as far as like the editing goes. I honestly didn't have any problem really with that following the story. There is a couple of those time jumps like I mentioned in the beginning where all of a sudden John Connor's out of the hole and everybody dies, I guess. That just kind of left me scratching my head a little bit. But the movie does move on quick enough mm. that it really doesn't bring it up into much of an issue. Of course, side characters could have been much stronger. There's pretty much no character to anybody in this, anybody in the show, except um, a little bit of Kyle Reese, um, mostly Marcus. And I think Christian Bale's probably the best John Connor we've gotten. What? Uh, Can't agree with that one. Okay. All right. Anyways, this is a really poor franchise in general. We would, we would say, I mean, there's no co you talk about no cohesion in this movie. There's no cohesion between the films. Yeah. I, I know I've heard that from, I think it was either three or this one. One of the two is where things just kind of go off the deep end for the, uh, for the Terminator franchise. I'm kind of feeling that, uh, the first two I felt worked together much better than any, the other two that we've had so far. Um, so I guess we'll see what happens next week. I'm going to be honest with you from what we've had the last couple of weeks, actually from this entire retrospective, I am not very excited for next week. I have seen Genesis. Uh, it has been a while. I'll, I'll say that for, from what I remember, I don't remember being too big of a fan of it. We'll see if my, uh, my thoughts change. I am, but I am just not a fan of the Terminator franchise at all. Yeah, so far, I'm not a fan of the franchise. I'm a fan of this film, and I like that we get a opening readout, which made me think of Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, same. Where it kind of explains it. But this is a really good opening readout that catches you up with the film. And for the most part, this is a standalone movie, although it does set it up for the end, which makes me so sad. We never, I think this could have been a really good cohesive trilogy. And um, yes, this was supposed to be the beginning of a new trilogy. So the Halcyon company filed for bankruptcy and the rights went up for grabs. The company tried to auction off the rights, hoping to get $70 million out of it. But at the time, only Joss Whedon offered to buy the rights for $10,000. Wow. Yeah, you can tell nobody wanted to touch this property (laughs) until a hedge fund named Passifor bought the rights for $29.5 million. Hmm. And then supposedly in August 2010, an animated reboot was in the works. 
to be titled Terminator 3000. Hmm. And the hedge fund is like, no, you can't do this. You don't have the rights. So in February 2011, Universal floated the idea of having Arnold come back and having the Fast Five director, Justin Lin, direct. As we know, that didn't happen. So in May 2011, Annapurna Pictures won the rights because Pacifer auctioned them off. They won the rights to make at least two more Terminator movies, and they got those rights for about $20 million. And then finally, shooting began for Terminator Genesis on April 2014. Wow. So the Terminator franchise <laughs> has been all around the block. Yeah. After this movie, it kind of became the ugly redheaded stepchild <laughs> nobody wanted to associate with. Mm -hmm. um, which I got to say, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you just say that in many ways this was better than Terminator 3? Yes. And that's the thing that really blows my mind is that Terminator 3 was so well received. And they're like, oh, man, this is actually a pretty good, pretty good movie. And then when Terminator Salvation came out, they're like, oh, my gosh, what directed they just drag this gutter up from? And I'm like, I, I don't see that. And I think that's why the IMDb rating now reflects this as a higher received film yeah. than Terminator 3, although not by much. I think that's the one good thing about IMDb is it can kind of course correct um, when at the time when films have come out, um, there was actually going to be an alternate ending mm -hmm. to this film. Maybe you would have liked it better. Maybe it would have given a given a recommend for you. Okay. It's a very fascinating alternate ending. So according to an interview from Entertainment Weekly, the studio did sign off on this end. It was in the script. McGee was going to do it. Christian Bale loved this ending. He wanted to do it so bad. But then everybody thought, this might actually be a really bad idea if we do this end. So in the end of the movie, John Connor dies. Okay. Okay. And I got to say, the end of this movie, we didn't really talk about it. The whole heart transplant thing is pretty sappy and it, like a direct callback to the very beginning. Yeah. And my dad, my dad was like, you can't perform heart surgery like right there. And what are you talking about? It's a can. Yep. And he's like, what's going on here? I'm like, that's a major thing. And your body could potentially reject that organ. Mm -hmm. This is movie world. As you say, everything is pretty shorthand in this movie. It's fine. It works out. Yeah. That's how heart surgeries work. Anyways, in the original ending, John Connor dies, but Marcus offers to somehow graft Connor's body onto his living body so Connor would live on, but as part Terminator, I guess. Mm -hmm. So once the procedure is done, his wife, Kate, Kyle Reese, and the other major characters come into the operating room or whatever because they think John's all right. But surprise... John's eyes flicker red and he shoots them all dead and cut to credits. That's the end of Terminator Salvation. That is an interesting ending. Hmm. It's a gutsy ending. It's, that is, and, yeah. And everybody was like, this is going to be the darkest ending of any summer blockbuster ever. And how's that going to like? And McGee's like, all right, we probably shouldn't do it. But Christian Bale was like, please, I want this to be the end. <laughs> Um, but it would be crazy if Kyle Reese died because then they'd have a whole mess on their hands. Yeah. But it wouldn't even matter because John Connor dies as well. 
It's true. Yeah. So I don't know where they'd go from there. And I think this would probably earn a negative reaction from mass market audiences, but I think a lot of people would actually see this as a really gutsy ending. And that's what McGee said. McGee said maybe a few years after this movie would have been made, you know, people would have been more okay with a dark ending. Avengers Infinity War has everybody dying in the end. Spoiler alert. But I don't know, Alan, what do you think of that ending? It is a gutsy ending. Um, hmm. I guess it's kind of hard to say. I'd have to see how they pull it off to see if it would work better than the ending that we have. I do like how different they're going with that ending that they had a concept for, um, where they do have John Connor be end up becoming a bad guy. I like that. I kind of like the idea. I would like to see how they execute it, though, uh, inside the movie, because I guess with that, it'd be all by execution. It is interesting. I do like that different ending, though. Well, next week, we will be coming back with Terminator Genesis. Alan said he's seen it once. He gave me his short review of it, and I'm like, okay, I got to see this movie. Neither of us saw it at the theater. I know I wasn't excited to see this movie like I was for Salvation. Mm -hmm. A lot happens in five years. I was 19. I had just graduated high school. I was entering college. Very different from my 14-year-old attitudes. Um, I, I was not interested in Terminator Genesis. I'm like, this looks pretty cheap and mediocre. So... I don't know, maybe I, I had some, I had a wildly different reaction to Alan when I first saw it. I'm curious to see if our reactions have changed because this movie came out in 2015. That's, the movie's five years old already. Man. Yeah. So it's, it's been a while. So maybe our reactions will be completely different, especially we'll be putting our SSG goggles on to mm. see what we think. I don't know. But regardless, I'm, kind of excited i'm more excited than i was when this film was theatrically released right right i don't know like i said not really too excited to continue on with this series with the terminator series i'm really not in, too much into it but i Think do want to see how if how much my thoughts have changed going into genesis now that it has been i guess five years since i watched it wow i will say i'm far more excited for terminator dark fate because that skips all of these movies we, right yeah and then it's a direct sequel to terminator 2 linda hamilton's back mm -hmm. i'm very excited to see that movie actually and see what they do with that and i know james cameron is back for the first time mm -hmm. in like 20, 30 plus years it's crazy well listeners thank you so much for joining us make sure to share this with your friends and family we love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you if you haven't already subscribed make sure to do that so you'll make sure to see our review for next week alan thanks for joining me sure thing all right we'll be back with terminator genesis hey listeners it's corbin don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our youtube facebook and twitter page and of course our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter also 
If you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.